Welcome to In Social Work, the podcast series of the University of Buffalo School of Social Work at www.insocialwork.org. We're glad you could join us today. The purpose of In Social Work is to engage practitioners and researchers in lifelong learning and to promote research to practice and practice to research. We educate, we connect, we care. We're In Social Work. Hello. I'm Charles Sims, and welcome to In Social Work. Over one billion of the world's population lives in extreme poverty. Approximately 45 million people in the United States live below the poverty line. Some 3 million American workers live in poverty despite having a full-time job, and one-third of poor families with children include a full-time worker. The harmful effects of poverty are well known. They can lead to reductions in academic achievement, poor health outcomes, and a myriad of social problems, along with stressed and under-resourced communities. A core mission of social work in America and internationally is to strive to address poverty and economic inequality. The basic income model may represent one possible solution for these inhumane conditions. Our guest today is Dr. James Mulvale. Dr. Mulvale is Dean of the Faculty of Social Work at the University of Manitoba in Winnipeg, Canada. Before taking this position in 2013, he was a faculty member at the University of Regina in Justice Studies and in the Faculty of Social Work, where he also served as Associate Dean. Dr. Mulvale is a registered social worker whose practice experience includes community development roles in the field of intellectual disabilities and mental health. Dr. Mulvale's research is focused on basic income, social work theory, and economic development in Aboriginal communities. He is Vice Chair of the Basic Income Canada Network, a member of the Social Policy Interest Group of the Canadian Association of Social Workers and Secretary of the Canadian Association of Deans and Directors of Social Work. Dr. Mulvale has written and presented extensively on the subject of economic justice. Included in his many publications are Reimagining Social Welfare and Possibilities and Prospects, the Debate over a Guaranteed Income. In today's podcast, Dr. Mulvale will explain the concept of basic income and how he became interested in it. He offers reasons for setting in place a basic income and reviews some of the typical objections. Dr. Mulvale provides a rationale for why basic income is an idea that social work should embrace and ends his discussion suggesting next steps for the social work field regarding this model. Dr. Mulvale was interviewed in December of 2014 by Dr. Gretchen Ely, an associate professor in the School of Social Work at the University of Buffalo. This is Gretchen Ely, and I am here with Jim Mulvale, and he's going to talk to us a little bit about basic income and social work. Thank you, Jim, for joining us. We're just going to get started, and my first question to you would be, could you please just tell me a little bit about the basic income model? Certainly. The basic idea behind the basic income model is that a floor of economic security should be available to everyone in a given political community in a given province or state or country and uh, that this kind of economic support 
available to all should be at a level to guarantee the modest but dignified lifestyle where people have choices and abilities to pursue their goals. So it's, in one sense, it's a very simple and I guess I would argue elegant idea compared to our current economic security approaches in, in the welfare state. It's quite different than existing programs, either social insurance programs or social assistance last resort kind of programs in that it's intended to be universal, covers everyone, unconditional, it's not depending on having to go to work or means tests or things like that, and it's tailored to individuals. So it doesn't go to households per se, but to individuals to ensure that individuals within a particular household or family have choices about leading their lives. And it sounds really interesting and something that's certainly very much supported by social work and something many of us have been advocating for since the beginning of the profession. So I wonder, what sparked your interest in this particular topic? Well, many years ago, I well, in 2001 specifically, I published a book called Reimagining Social Welfare. It was based on my doctoral research and kind of thinking about new approaches in the social welfare field, specific reference to Canada. In the book, I included a brief mention, I guess two or three paragraphs, on the the basic income idea as a new approach to economic security. So that kind of initially sparked my interest, and I started reading more and going to meetings of the Basic Income Earth Network, and actually the American group's been established for some time called United States Basic Income Guarantee Network, or US Big for short. So kind of getting more exposure to the idea and talking to people doing research and activists, I became more and more interested in it and uh, really started to focus on how it might work in practical policy terms, certainly in the Canadian context. I live in Canada, but looking at international kind of uh, projects or experiments with basic income as well. Okay, that sounds great. Well, I wonder if you could talk with us a little bit more about what are the reasons that given for setting in place a basic income by those who support this approach? Well, I think there's a number of reasons. I guess one of the key people that sparked the contemporary interest in the basic income model is a Belgian philosopher by the name of Philippe von Parijs. And Philippe, in writing in the 80s and into the 90s, presented the basic income model as, he referred to it as kind of a left libertarian approach where there's commitment to collective welfare through welfare state and other public mechanisms, but also the libertarian part was meant to address human freedom and uh, individuals being able to pursue their goals in life with without fear of economic want or economic uh, bad consequences. So that was kind of came from that, I guess, philosophical perspective. But in thinking about it, um, you can, of course, as social workers, we're concerned about social justice and human rights. Basic income can be very much framed in the context of, uh, you know, social equality, social equity, you know, redistribution of wealth. And also, I mean, if you can frame it as a human right, we have like conventions through the United Nations on economic and social rights and arguably the right to modicum income, regardless of one's circumstances, especially in wealthy developed industrial countries, can be thought of as an economic right. 
Beyond that, I mean, there's been interest in the basic income model and faith communities that are thinking about social teachings of their particular faith. There's been interest in basic income among environmentalists, which is, to me, a really interesting point of departure. Uh, Of course, much of our social programs have been built traditionally on economic growth and ever-growing economic pie that's redistributed to people at the lower end. Well, that's, we've been getting away from that in recent years, but that's the idea behind certainly the Keynesian welfare state, if you will. But the environmentalists are saying, if we're going to leave a survivable and livable planet for our children and grandchildren, we have to end our addiction to economic growth. So if we can really talk seriously about steady state economics and redistribution of wealth to ensure that everyone has enough to live on, then basic income could be a key mechanism in that regard. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you have some very compelling reasons for supporting this type of movement, and it also sounds like it would eliminate the need for many of the social welfare programs that we have in place and also keep people from going below a basic standard of living so things like homelessness would be addressed. Those are sort of the positive arguments for it, and I wonder if you could talk with us a little bit about the typical objections to basic income. Sure. I mean, just the point you made, Gretchen, about replacing aspects of the existing welfare state apparatus, that's actually kind of a tricky and sometimes contentious discussion among people interested in basic income. I mean, the basic income might clearly overlap with certain existing economic security programs, universal pensions from the state or children's allowances or perhaps even social insurance programs could be displaced to some extent by a more universal basic income. But certainly many of us working on basic income here in Canada feel very strongly that it should not be seen as a replacement for the kind of in-kind services our social welfare state, you know, health care and social housing and uh, mental health and addictions programs, you know, the kind of value-added services of social welfare really need to continue to be in place. Even if we supply everybody with enough money to live on, there's other social needs that basic income cannot address or cannot replace existing services. Now, move on to objections. Of course, one of the most frequently cited, if you will, moral objections to it is that uh, critics say, well, you know, if we just give people money for nothing, then they won't engage in work. They'll kind of lead a lazy and kind of uh, pointless life. I guess there's certain people that kind of want to do that in their lives. I think it's a very small minority and not sure whether or not you have a basic income is going to change that. But some of the research that's been done on basic income or guaranteed income experiments have actually demonstrated that if we have a guaranteed income scheme in place, they will not significantly withdraw from the labor market. There was a pilot project that ran in the late 70s and early 80s in Dauphin, Manitoba in Canada. It was called MINCOM. It was a joint provincial-federal guaranteed income experiment. And there's been some research done on that actually quite recently and uh, has demonstrated that there was not uh, significant labor market withdrawal, as the economists say, when that the income was available to families in Dauphin. There was some withdrawal for very good reasons, you know, kids finishing high school that might have otherwise dropped out to take a job, mothers that were able to stay home longer with newborns in, in the absence in those days of maternity benefits. 
But overall, people wanted to work and continued to work, but this was kind of a bridge for them between jobs or during difficult times. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like some of these objections, you're sort of responding to how they can be addressed if somebody has concerns about the model. So I appreciate you talking with us about that. And I wonder, how is basic income similar to or different from current income security programs in countries like the United States and Canada? You've touched on a little bit about how the basic income would overlap with those programs, but can you go into a little more detail, please? Sure. Well, it's different than kind of means or income-tested last resort programs like social welfare or, I guess in the U.S., the TANF program. It's different than those kinds of programs in that, uh, you know, you don't have to undergo those kinds of often demeaning and stigmatizing means tests because it's uh, universal and available to all and people automatically qualify. It's different than social insurance programs, like uh, in Canada, for instance, we have the Canada Pension Plan, and the U.S. there's the Social Security programs, in that people are not expected to contribute. It's not a contributory social insurance program. So it sort of works in different premises in that regard. Now, a question gets raised, of course, about, well, can we afford this kind of generous, universal individualized income security program? And that's an important question. That's a tough question. It requires careful analysis. I mean, social insurance does have people contributing. And maybe, you know, the social insurance program should continue even as a basic income mechanism might emerge to kind of give people additional income beyond the bare minimum. With last resort social assistance kinds of programs, I mean, I think it's pretty clear in recent years that those programs have eroded so dreadfully that's contributed significantly to the growth of poverty that, I mean, we have to come up with something different. And maybe it requires more investment. Maybe it requires greater government funding for a basic income in lieu of last resort social assistance programs. But, of course, in regard to cost, one can argue that and there's lots of literature on this, sort of the economic costs of poverty and the social determinants of health. Investing in individuals and families now will have long-term payoffs in terms of better school completion rates, better health status, and just kind of a better set of circumstances that will have fewer people going into the criminal justice system. So it's a tough sell politically because politicians are in short-term election cycles and often maybe can't think beyond the next election. But there's those kind of long-term benefits, I would argue. Do you think it would work similarly to how Social Security works in the U.S. or how the Canadian pension system works, where you would pay in and get a minimum amount? Or do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I try to be a pragmatist about these things. If Certainly in kind of short to medium run, if that's the kind of way we can build towards something like a basic income architecture, which might include more than maybe a few programs, if we can kind of take a step-by-step approach towards having that more universal guarantee of economic security for everyone, I think we should talk about building on, extending, stitching together existing programs. In fact, here in Canada, and I think there's probably similar programs in in the States, we do have basic income programs of a sort for elderly people and for families with young children. 
in Canada we call old age security that's actually still goes out as a demo grant. Everybody's eligible to receive it. Well, they're upping the eligibility age from 65 to 67, which is a bad idea in my view. But when you reach eligibility age, everybody can apply for a very modest old age security universal payment. Now it's taxable. So people at higher income levels have perhaps most of their old age security tax back. But then there's also a program built onto it called Guaranteed Income Supplement that works as a negative income tax mechanism. If you do have a low income as a senior, you can apply for and get the Guaranteed Income Supplement that goes on top of your old age security, the universal payment. And I mean, you know, it could be improved theoretically, but certainly in Canada, the OAS-GIS combination has had a significant impact in lowering seniors' poverty over the years. And in my mind, certainly it's a form of basic income, if you will. Not called such, but that's kind of what it amounts to. I mean, I think uh, we've had similar good results, I think, in Canada with the child tax benefit, which is a negative income tax mechanism that sends money to uh, lower income families with young children. So once again, it's not a demo grant, it's not a universal payment that goes out to everybody, but it's a negative income tax, income tested mechanism to put money in the hands of young families when their children are young. So I think that's a very positive approach and part of a basic income scheme, if you will. And so I wonder, has basic income been tried in other areas and does it work, such as the Brazilian legislation or other pilot projects in North America? Yeah, it's interesting to me. I mean, I think some of the countries that have been most open to thinking about the idea of basic income have been in uh, developing countries, not in the relatively wealthy, you know, advanced welfare states. So in Brazil, they've had a program in place for many, many years now called the Bolsa Familia. Now it's income tested, it's geared to people in low income range, and it's geared to families, families with young children. And there's very minor conditions on it. Children have to be involved in school and mothers have to be, who are expecting, need to be hooked up with prenatal care. But in a sense, those are, I think, good conditions if you're gonna have any conditions at all. And as a kind of a household, as a grant that goes out to families at the lower income scale in Brazil, and it reaches millions of families, it really has had a dent on on lowering rates of absolute poverty. They've had experiments on a more pure basic income model in Namibia, in Southwest Africa, that was, unfortunately, it ran as an experiment and then it ran out of funds. It was largely church-funded. It had all kinds of interesting positive effects. And there's currently a, a large-scale project on basic income payments occurring in select villages in India. So that should show some interesting results before too long. So it sounds like it's something to consider that you could think about building on for some of the models that would look good in the United States and Canada. Yeah, the most interesting U.S. version of it, and it's garnered much attention at among basic income researchers and at basic income conferences has been in the state of Alaska where they had the Alaska Permanent Fund dividend, a portion of oil and gas and resource revenues that accrue to the state of Alaska are put aside and uh, actually paid out to families 
on a yearly basis as a form of basic income. It's kind of the yearly payment kind of varies from year to year depending on oil and gas revenues. But in many past years, the benefit has hovered around $1,000 per person for all residents of the state of Alaska. So it's obviously not a living income, but let's say a family that's economically struggling or living below the poverty line, let's say a family with two parents and four kids, that could be potentially $6,000 or so per year as a tax-free benefit, which have very good effects in terms of raising the economic security of the family. And that kind of money makes a difference when people are on the verge of living near poverty. So I think it's something very important to consider. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the description of the position recently taken by the Canadian Association of Social Workers in regard to implementing versions of basic income there in Canada. Sure. The Canadian Association for Social Workers, CASW, recently put out a paper on social equity. And part of it focused on health care, part of it focused on program administration across the social service field. But a third part of it focused on stitching together or moving incrementally towards a basic income scheme at the federal level in Canada. So once again, as I was mentioning earlier, the proposal was to take existing basic income-like programs, such as old age security, the Canada child tax benefit, the working income tax benefit for working poor people, and we have very small sales tax rebate that goes out to low-income people at the federal level. To kind of look at this array of programs and think about like filling in gaps or extending benefits or broadening eligibility and kind of moving in a step-by-step fashion towards, once again, basic income architecture, if not a, you know, rather than a trying to work towards a one-size-fits-all basic income singular program. So, I mean, that's what's been proposed. To be realistic with our current federal government, I don't think it's something that uh, they're much interested in at all. In fact, I think it kind of runs contrary to their views of, of social welfare. But, you know, governments change, political discourses evolve over time. So, We're hoping that this can kind of get on the agenda and undergo some discussion in the months ahead or years ahead. I think you make a good point there because I feel like the government here in the United States, it's probably not on their radar either. So we sort of have a parallel situation going on. But I do agree that it is important to keep this kind of thing moving forward because political climates do change. And so I wonder if you could talk a bit about why basic income is an issue that social workers should be concerned about. I mean, I think our profession and our discipline of social work, we've been firmly rooted since our early days in understandings of social justice and human rights. And I mean, I think uh, basic income is kind of premised on those kinds of values, you know, redistribution of wealth and ensuring that everybody has enough for a dignified life with choices and possibilities. And I mean, social workers probably more than any other single profession deal firsthand with the negative effects of poverty, whether they work in income assistance or child welfare or mental health addictions or whatever field they work in. Social workers confront poverty and the the negative effects of poverty on a day-to-day basis in their work. So, I mean, I think social workers, more than any other profession, kind of a bird's eye view of the problems that 
of poverty and economic insecurity that basic income is intended to address. And I think when we look at our ethical and value statements in the profession, we're very much committed to collective welfare and uh, kind of in, ensuring that everybody has the ability to make their human rights real and tangible. And I think economic security moves us in that direction. I think that you make some good points about why social workers, this should be on their radar and why they need to be involved in this discussion. And I wonder what your thoughts are about what we can do as social workers to promote discussion, research, and implementation of these concepts of basic income. Well, just on the kind of research and academic side, I mean, I'm anxious that uh, social workers become more engaged in teaching the idea of basic income and getting students doing field placements and thinking about it. And on the research side, I mean, to be honest, there's not a lot of people working within the social work profession that have been engaged in research on basic income per se. You know, and it's a very much a multidisciplinary research area for sure. And we've had people from political science and policy studies and economics and philosophy and lots of other areas who have been engaged in the discussion and the the scholarship and the research, but it would be really good to see social workers, you know, whether they're focused on direct practice or whether they're focused on social policy to be more engaged and contributing. Just in the wider political arena, I think uh, social workers and social work organizations have credibility to take the message to politicians, you know, and across the political spectrum too. I don't think basic income is just a kind of a liberal or social democratic project, if you will. And in fact, uh, many of the politicians who have been interested in it have come from kind of the conservative or right-wing side of the political spectrum. Actually, some of the uh, interesting experiments on basic income in the U.S. and some of the discussion in policy circles occurred during the Nixon administration a number of years ago. In some cases, some of the Democrats, like Bill Clinton, have kind of moved away from this model. So, and we've had similar things here in Canada where we have a kind of a former conservative senator, uh, Hugh Siegel. He was what we call in Canada a red Tory, progressive thinking conservative politician, but he was championing a version of basic income. So I think social workers, along with others, can play a role in introducing this idea and engaging in thoughtful discussion of it with politicians of all stripes, not to mention other social justice and social policy organizations. So what would you say is next on the horizon for this if we want to advance a political advocacy agenda or a public education agenda to put forth our cause of basic income? It would be really great to see more interest, in, including from social workers and social policy academics, in the work that's been done around basic income and continues to be done and in groups like uh, United States Basic Income Guarantee Network, the Basic Income Canada Network. There's an international group called the Basic Income Earth Network, which does actually span all the continents and has biannual meetings that bring together people. We had one in Montreal on June 2014 that brought together over 250 people from all parts of the globe. So we're really good to see social workers involved in those kinds of discussions and meetings and research. More locally, I think through one's political parties or faith communities or local groups, if people can talk up this idea and, and get people engaged in thoughtful and critical reflection on it, that would be very good. 
within our daily practice as social workers. I think it's probably fair to say that some people working in the social work field or social workers themselves have kind of gotten a bit caught up with some of the sort of uh, neoconservative blaming of the victim. So if we can have these kinds of thoughtful discussions to kind of critically reflect on what's happening to people that get caught up in these very inadequate and sometimes quite demeaning means of income security programs, that could be, a, I think, a perspective we can bring as social workers. I just think about the potential that it would free up, the human potential to be less concentrated on making ends meet or not falling below a basic level and more concentration on just moving forward as a human being. It it seems like it fits very well with some social work principles and is something we should be advocating for. Yeah, I mean, in terms of self-determination of those with whom we work, it's been interesting, some of the pilot projects and thinking of some evidence that came out of the Namibia experiment with basic income where, you know, and these were very often maybe single, very poor African women with children that with a modest basic income payment that they could count on month over month, they did all kinds of interesting things. I mean, they managed to get their kids back in school. They started up small businesses. They kind of networked with each other and kind of built community resilience. So, I mean, these kinds of results can be seen in some of the experiments that have happened so far. So it'd be interesting if we had the chance to see more of those kinds of things happen. It sounds like it'd be a lot of potential on a larger scale. It would be interesting to see that. Well, I thank you so much for your expertise and your time talking with us today about basic income and the benefits of it and how social work should be concerned about it and pay attention to it, and we thank you today. Okay, Gretchen. I'm pleased to be able to speak with you. You have been listening to Dr. Gretchen Ely interview Dr. James Mulvale on the concept of basic income. We hope that you found this unique idea thought-provoking. I'm Charles Sims, and I invite you to join us again at In Social Work. Hi, I'm Nancy Smith, Professor and Dean of the University of Buffalo School of Social Work. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We look forward to your continued support of the series. For more information about who we are as a school, our history, our online and on-the-ground degree in continuing education programs, we invite you to visit our website at www.socialwork.buffalo.edu. And while you're there, check out our Technology and Social Work Resource Center. You'll find it under the Community Resources menu.